Hello, welcome to the Girl I Slept in My Makeup podcast by three sisters who live in three different states who are excited to talk to each other and also to learn and grow alongside of each of you. Uh, my name is Megan. I'm Kristen. And I'm Lauren. Hey, sisters. Hey. Hi. We are beyond excited today. We have such an incredible guest and we really feel so honored that he agreed to spend his time with us today. And his name is Trevor Reagan. Trevor, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thank you. It's an honor. I am excited. <laughs> we um, found Trevor actually when we were doing some research on our episode about fear. Kristen watched, or we all watched numerous um, videos online. And when Kristen sent us Trevor's video, we were just amazed and it just really resonated with us. And I have to say for myself that I'm not a big analogy girl. I don't usually relate to them, but for whatever reason, your analogies that you use in um, multiple of your TED Talks just really hit home for me. And so I know I'm not the only one out there that... Yes. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> so, nice. I appreciate that. Yes. <laughs> Um, a little bit about Trevor. He is the founder of the Learner Lab, which is an educational website designed to unpack and share the science of learning and development. He spends his time with thought leaders and researchers from the worlds of psychology and developmental science, consumes their research, connects the dots, and shares it with anyone that lis will listen. And so, Trevor, we are here to listen. We are here for it. And we are just <laughs> so excited to learn from you. And, um, and yeah, so we can't wait to jump in. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you'll, if you'll start off just um, giving us a little bit about your background and where you came from and how you ended up to where you are today. And, and really, let's share with the audience what your focus is today. Sure. So uh, I have a really interesting job. I study learning and sort of the, the things that we focus on the most is one is helping people realize that learning is a skill. So it's something that uh, any of us could improve on. It's something we could get better at. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of misconceptions around learning. So we try to upgrade those. I also think you could argue that learning is the ultimate skill because like no matter who I am or what I do, if I can become a better learner, I can sort of trade that in for relevant skills in whatever industry I work in. And so my time is split into like three boxes. So like a third of my time is spent researching, reading a lot, looking into research and studies and hitting the road and like interviewing and spending time with the people that do this research. The other bucket is like producing content. So podcasts, videos, articles for the website. So and then cool. the other bucket is kind of the coolest thing. I get to travel literally all over the world and I do workshops on how to become a better learner with schools, professional sports teams, companies. I've worked in prisons wow. and cool. it's just like really, really fun to get like on the road in person and teach some of these principles uh, in person. It's just really, really fun. Wow. That's I awesome. have to say that I think you might have the coolest job out there. <laughs> I know. I tell people that it's so, it's, it's like unfair. Yes. So <laughs> it's like, You're like, this is your real life. That's amazing. That's so and what cool. a, what a mm. cool way to be able to see the world and just reach so many people. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and every group I work with, I, I get to learn more. So it, it kind of snowballs. And, and so the video that you guys found is one of our best topics, but there's like, of course, other topics, but the way that yeah. that would fall under the umbrella, it's like, okay, to become a better learner, I have to take action. I have to spend time out of my comfort zone. I have to practice. It's like, well, what is one reason we avoid that mm -hmm. fear? It's like, that's a yeah. huge reason. And that's right. why, that's why we've really, we really zoom into that topic during our workshops and in the, the online content we create. Um, yeah, that's one of our so best, cool. best things. I love that you go to love schools that. too. Just oh, because yeah. I don't, like it starts so young, you know, like in middle school, I think the fear just starts then. And so to learn that kind of skill at that young age is so huge. So, so like uh, the Ted talk you watch, what was that like 13 minutes or something? Mm -hmm. When we teach the fear stuff in person, it get, can get up to be about an hour. And yeah. honestly, we've done, of, of course, we've done that fear presentation with literally Olympic teams. But last week I presented it to a group of fourth graders and they like Aww. understood it. And you could see them like connecting dots of like, oh, this is why this happens. This is yeah. why that happens. It, it was it's it's my favorite topic because it's kind of like the most universal. Like yeah. everyone has to deal with fear in different ways. Um, yeah. And so that one seems to hit home with pretty much anyone. Yeah, I really loved it because I mentioned this in our episode. For me, I like conquered the fear thing. Like I was like, anything I was scared of I was like I'm doing it nice. but the problem was I had the mindset of like I have to be fearless so right. and what you teach is like but you know you th that's not possible so right. that was set, that really hit home for me because it helped me realize like right. oh I don't have to have shame around exactly. feeling fear so yeah. it's it's a small adjustment that can make a huge impact and and perhaps the big takeaway is once we understand that, like the mechanics of fear, that it's like a human emotion, that um, I, in a way we're giving it less power, but we're not getting rid of it. And so what we tell people now is we're probably never going to completely get rid of fear. So our goal, what we're chasing is not to become fearless. It's we don't want fear making our decisions when we're trying to learn. And the only way to get good at that is to practice it. And step one is to just accept the fact that just because we feel a bit uncomfortable or a bit fearful, that doesn't mean we're doing something wrong. And mm -hmm. just like making that adjustment between our ears is so powerful. Yeah. yeah really. Trevor, let's back up just a little bit because we watched, we also watched your another TED talk about that had the jungle tiger versus zoo tiger. <laughs> nice. If you don't mind, share with us kind of a yeah. quick rundown of that analogy and then we can kind of dive into that because I feel like that was sure. kind of more of an umbrella that fear kind of falls under. Exactly. That's totally what we're going for with that. So the big picture of becoming a better learner, you can kind of summarize this by comparing the life of a jungle tiger versus a zoo tiger. So, I mean, we've literally done this talk with kindergartners. They even understand the difference of those two environments. One is easy. One is hard. One is going to involve no struggle. One is going to involve lots of struggle. And sort of the punchline of that comparison is like, okay, what tiger would learn more? Well, everyone on earth would say the jungle tiger would learn more than a tiger that spends its whole life in the cage. Mm -hmm. So then if you compare the two tigers, there's like a huge gap between the two as far as learning is concerned. 
that gap wasn't about the tiger's tools. It's like they were both tigers. The gap was about the approach to learning. And so it's, it's a bigger metaphor for comfort zones. And it's an argument that like, look, when it comes to growth, sort of uh, an ironclad rule is whether we're trying to grow a muscle or a skill, we have to expand out of our comfort zone to grow. And so the, our name for it, that is choosing to jungle tiger, like choosing to jungle tiger is when we're struggling on purpose, when we're choosing to get out of our comfort zone in a learning pursuit. Now, the th sort of the, the thing that we've improved the most on this message is when we're telling people to learn like a jungle tiger, this isn't about aggression or being bold. It's like the small choices we make every day. Like anytime we choose to do the right thing, the better thing, the more uncomfortable thing over to easy, uh, the easy, comfortable option, we're jungle tigering. And so like literally yeah. asking a question is being a jungle tiger because yeah. it's easier to just not ask. Yeah, exactly. And so one key point is we just like create this metaphor to create a language around like, oh, I'm jungle tigering now or, oh, I'm in the zoo. But the cool part <laughs> is the best part is like, okay, obviously tigers don't get to choose if they're a zoo tiger or a jungle tiger. We do. So like every day, no matter who we are, what we do, when it comes to learning, we're presented like jungle tiger moments, problems, challenges, obstacles, change. And when we're presented those moments, again, when it comes to learning, we could choose to experience those. We could choose to hide from those. We could choose to learn from them. We could choose to avoid them. So the, the call to action is we can choose to jungle or zoo tiger. And that's a choice we make multiple times a day. The more times we choose to jungle tiger, the more we grow. So that's mm -hmm. like our North star. That's what we're chasing as far as becoming a better learner. And then the fear piece is sort of like a, an essential tool in that process. Because I think if you ask most people like, okay, we get to choose which tiger to be. Why do you think we might gravitate towards the zoo more often than not? Mm -hmm. Nine out of 10 people say something to do with fear. So it's perfect. It's like, yeah, yeah. me too. Like I, I fear the unknown. I fear uncertainty. I fear struggle. I fear looking bad. I fear being judged while I'm looking bad. It's like, yeah, fear is a huge obstacle to becoming a better learner. And then we come in with, okay, well, here's what the science says about what we do with fear. Mm -hmm. And then we unpack other obstacles as well. But that's, yeah. so that's how those two topics like fit together. We're trying to jungle tiger more, f understanding fear, learning to overcome fear is an essential tool in that process. Right. So when we overcome fear, then it helps to release us from our cage, right? <laughs> it, it absolutely can. So it's, uh, this is a big reason we end up at the zoo. If we kind of get a little more in-depth understanding of fear and learn to accept it rather than to try to suppress it or get rid of it, that mm -hmm. can help us jungle tiger more. Of course, there's other tools that could help, but that's a huge one. Right. I loved in the uh, video where you said that, you know, why do we choose the zoo tiger? And mm -hmm. first of all, it's the stories and limiting beliefs that we tell yeah. ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I liked how you said that's what builds the cage for yeah. us. And then the yeah, fear yeah. is what keeps us in the cage. And yeah. so that just makes a lot yeah. of sense. <laughs> so it, basically what you're doing is like, you're starting to create the outline of how we would teach this to a group of people when we do like the full workshop. So it's mm -hmm. like, all right, we want a jungle tiger. What keeps us in the zoo? Well, a lot of things, but stories and fear are two big ones. 
okay, those are our obstacles. Then we pre present the research of like, well, how do you overcome limiting beliefs and how do you overcome fear? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, that's kind of the progression that we would go through. Mm -hmm. And what I love about your talks and just your knowledge and um, is just kind of the science behind it all. I think that that really yeah. helps a lot of people to just relate to, oh, yeah. you know, their own, just the human, the animals that we are. <laughs> totally. So <laughs> I watched the Ted talk this morning and it's been a long time. And I realized like in there it's, I nod to the research and science, but I didn't get a chance to like explain some of the studies. Do you want to get into some of them? They're pretty uh, interesting. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. All right. So this will kind of just like add one more layer to this fear stuff. And so in the research world, and I've had the opportunity to interview a few of these researchers that focus on this. So the the scientific term for this idea of changing the way we think about fear is called reappraising arousal, which is basically like before a big moment, I feel some nerves, I feel some fear, I feel some stress, anxiety. Reappraising it is like, okay, what happens if we could change the way we interpret those feelings and some really cool things happen. So let's just do two studies. If I go too long, you can chop one, but I think they're both cool. Is that all right with you? Yeah. yeah. All right. Study one. Uh, they did, did this at Harvard. Jeremy Jameson, he takes two groups of Harvard students. Uh, th they make them do the practice version of the GRE, the math section. So pretty difficult exam. Group one is the control group. They just give them the exam, no training or instructions. They get a 684 out of 800. The second group is given one paragraph of instructions, teaching them to reappraise the, the fear. It basically says like feeling nervous before you take an exam is normal. It's human. It's okay. It's expected. So they read that paragraph. Then they take the same exact exam. Group two scores a 739 out of 800. So pretty wow. big, pretty big boost in performance. And then the amazing thing is three months later, all of those students took the real GRE and they reported their math scores back. And there was a similar gap between the two groups, which was like, wow, crazy. Like this small seed that was planted in the lab on one day and one study with one paragraph that was benefiting the students three months later. Just this idea that it's okay to be nervous. It's okay to be afraid. This doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Um, yeah. So I think that study is pretty interesting. And then my favorite study on the topic, um, Alison Woodbrooks did this at Harvard Business School. And she actually wanted to compare sort of our default approach to dealing with fear, which is usually to try to suppress it or get rid of it with mm -hmm. the more reappraising and accepting approach. And so she had people take part in three tasks that kind of freak us out a lot, public speaking, a math test and singing. And the idea was like, oh okay, so like one of those is going to freak you out, maybe all of them. Um, and then they would compare these different tactics to how we deal with the nerves. So I think the singing portion is the most relevant. They To do that part, you had to go into a room, a small room, and there was like three strangers sitting across from you at a table. And there's an, a Nintendo oh Wii God. hooked up to a TV. And you have to sing Don't Stop Believing to them. Oh, my God. <laughs> and... And I'm pretty God. sure 
in the study, they mentioned that they trained the three people to give you no facial feedback. So they just sit there like staring blankly at you while you sing the song. I feel like this so, is literally like a nightmare I've had. Yeah, 100 yeah. percent Same. Um also no alcohol involved. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Well, Kristen's um, the outlier here because she's like an amazing singer. So she'd be like, yeah, she's right. Like, she's like, I this is my moment. I got yeah. this. I got yeah. this. So uh all right. So Group one, before they go sing that song in that room, they're literally told, calm down, don't be afraid. They go sing the song. Group two is the reappraisal group who's taught it's okay, it's expected, it's human, it's normal. Group one, on average, scores a 53% on the song because it's a singing game that gives you a score. Mm -hmm. Group two, the one that was taught to reappraise it, 81%. It's like, that's a huge boost in performance. But I think the exciting part is if you get into the weeds a bit to see like, wow, there's actually a huge takeaway from the study. And I I didn't get a chance to really fledge this out in the TED Talk. So I'm glad we're getting into it now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put our, let's put ourselves into the shoes of group one. All right. In a way I'm told, don't be afraid. I'm told to calm down. Don't be afraid. But then I'm put into a situation where I'm most likely going to feel something. So when I'm told to not feel, but then I'm in a situation where I do feel, do you see they're likely to interpret that feeling as a negative thing? It's like, well, you told me not to be afraid, but I am afraid. Therefore, something's wrong. I'm not ready. That's the shame snowball that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. So this, the second group is told that it's okay, that it's expected. Then they're put into the room where they're probably going to feel afraid as well, but they don't look at it as a negative thing. They just understand that that's normal. And so that's this, the, the key part of reappraising fear is understanding, look, we're not saying fear is fun or that it's fun to go in the room and sing the song. It's like, no, all the students felt the same. What we're trying to do is change the way that we interpret those feelings When we're told to not feel, then we do feel. We assume the feeling is bad. And when I'm in the room, my focus is on fighting that feeling. When I'm told that it's okay, that it's human, that that it's expected, and I'm in the room performing the song, yeah, I feel it, but my attention is on the song, not fighting the losing battle of getting rid of my fear. And that's the coolest part of Allison's research. They hook people up and they're measuring heart rate. They're measuring blood pressure. They're looking at all sorts of like physiological factors. There's no difference between any of the groups. All the people felt the same. The difference is in how we interpret those feelings. And that's what we're trying to get good at. Gosh, that's so powerful. And kind of back Mm -hmm. to what Megan said, just the impact this could have if if this yeah. is like told to kids well, it, from such a young age. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to ask, I don't know. So my daughter's four and something that we've been dealing with recently just in daycare is she gets really overwhelmed with how many kids are in the class. And mm. she's been like running from the teacher sometimes. And she like laughs about it and thinks it's funny, but obviously she shouldn't be running from the teacher. So we've been trying to talk right. to her on like, what's going on? Like, why aren't you listening to the teachers? And Um, she basically says that she gets overwhelmed with the noise. Like it's really loud and there's all these people. And so I don't really know how to help her. And so I'm like, I feel like sometimes I'm like, well, don't be afraid. And that's obviously not what I want to say. So I'm like, what would you say? (laughs) Interesting here. (laughs) No, it's good. It's like, so the takeaway of this topic is 
it's like if you this is another study that Allison did. She literally polled like thousands of people and she found 91% of people think that the best strategy is to tell people don't be afraid. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, okay, so there's, there's layers to it. Layer one, if we're working with someone who's like afraid to try something new or feeling some fear. And one thing I do want to be clear on when we're talking about reappraising fear, we're talking about when we're not in danger. It's like, yeah, there's yeah. a time and a place totally. to listen to our fear for sure. But okay. To Assuming, Abigail, the yeah, lizard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, I love that name. It's you great. do? Yeah, okay, good job on like, that. <laughs> no, it's so good. It's so good. Because like the scientific term is amygdala. It's super clev- clever. You did. Yeah. You did good with it. Um, all right. So we're talking about learning situations. So if we're working with someone in a learning situation where fear is getting in the way, layer one is to somehow send the signal that it's okay to feel like this. So many times when we feel nervous, we assume we're doing something wrong or we assume we're not good enough. We assume we're not ready. And so signal one we're trying to send is like, hey, how you're feeling right now is okay. It's normal. It's not necessarily fun, but it's okay to feel like that. Okay. There's like a lot of ways to send those signals. Another powerful thing, if we're in some sort of leadership role, and I consider parenting being a leader or a Mm -hmm. teacher or a coach. Mm-hmm. Another powerful signal to send is like sharing a time that you felt nervous or afraid. Like yeah. it's so important to do that. Um, when I do these workshops, especially with students, um, like throughout the presentation, I I talk about how I'm nervous during the presentation. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm up here on this stage giving this presentation, but I'm freaking out. And that sending that signal is powerful. Like, yeah, even people that are quote unquote, good at something or have an authority figure, they're afraid to. So sharing that is powerful, like a time that you were nervous. And then I've even seen some really amazing leaders, like literally at the Olympic level, share like in the moment. It's like, like I've seen a coach call a timeout at the Olympics and be like, yo, I'm freaking out right now. And I know you are too. And it was like such an awesome thing to say of like not hiding his feelings, but owning it. It's like, yeah, we spent four years practicing to get here. There's about a million people watching us. Like, yeah, you're going to feel something. And once we just put it on the table and learn to accept it, that's just a far better strategy than hiding it and suppressing it because the research across the board shows that's really not going to work. Yeah. Love that. Um, I have a, I have a question. Um, so what do you say? So I've heard you say like how important learning is, Uh um, and especially for kids, but what would you say to an adult who I'll just use my husband as the example who, you know, has a doctorate, he has a good job and Uh he's told me, you know, I just don't have motivation to do something different or new or like, how do you, does that make sense? Oh yeah, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Uh, so uh, there's a few things here. Although we're talking about becoming better learners and and all this stuff, it doesn't mean that we have to learn everything. It's like if we have limited time and resources. We can't just be learning every possible skill. Mm-hmm. Now that being said, I think we're all in situations where there's learning that probably should be happening, and we're avoiding it. That's the stuff that we're trying to dig into. Um, so, okay. This lack of motivation, um, topic comes up a lot, especially in schools too. So this isn't just an adult thing. Uh, my thesis, sometimes 
this unmotivated person, it's actually a mask for a deeper rooted thing. So like, uh, it could be a mask for fear. It's like, I'm acting like I don't care about this, but the truth is I'm afraid to be bad at it. Okay. So if we could dig into fear, we might help with the motivation. Uh, we mentioned the limiting beliefs earlier. Sometimes lack of motivation is a mask for that where it's, mm -hmm. I act like I don't care about that, but the truth is I don't think I can learn it. That's the limiting belief. And so to fix that would be building this knowledge of our capacity to grow. Some people call it like growth mindset, but it's just like getting into the science about how powerful our, our brains actually are when it comes to learning. That might help. Mm -hmm. And then of course, sometimes it's like, look, I believe I could grow. I'm not really worried about looking bad, but I still genuinely don't care. And if that's the case, there's all sorts of strategies of connecting sort of like more meaning and purpose around uh, the particular task. And so there's kind of ways around it. I actually think you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck by digging into stories and fear. It's not going to fix everyone, but I think most of the time you can create uh, a little more motivation just by teaching those sort of foundational skills, not just telling someone you need to be more motivated. Yeah. And you talked about the growth mindset. I, that was one of the videos I listened to and I thought mm. it was super helpful as well talking about, I don't know if we're want to jump into that yet, but the fixed mindset versus the growth. Sure. I was, it's, it's, it's so powerful. Yeah. No, well, no, this falls right into it. Cause, um, I just kind of what Kristen mentioned about her husband, I've certainly been there too. It was like, I, what I noticed is once my son turned four, he's eight now, but you know, those first few years of his life, I felt like all of me time and energy and everything just went into being a mom. Mm -hmm. And I am kind of that personality type where I crave kind of harmony and peace and don't enjoy conflict. And, um, if things mm -hmm. are kind of going smooth then I feel content and I mm -hmm. can find myself kind of falling into a spot where if everything's going good, then if I have any extra time and energy, my passion is people and people's stories. And, um, so then I'll just pour whatever's left in me into loving other people and learning about sure. other people or whatever. So, yeah. um, yeah, it goes right along with this. It's like, I can kind of find myself slowly dwindling back to the kind of that comfort zone, I guess the mm -hmm. cage as, with the analogy. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So I guess it's like, let's just jump into that kind of fixed sure. versus growth mindset. Yep. And another thing we should be clear on is like, look, there's nothing wrong with relaxing and being still and chilling. Like yeah. we're not trying yeah. to get rid of that either. What we're saying right. is if our goal is to grow, then mm -hmm. we need to jungle tiger. So that's another thing we okay. have to be clear on. Uh, yeah. All right. Growth and fixed mindset kind of a hot topic right now, lots of misconceptions around it, but it, like the quick summary, it's uh, Carol Dweck out of Stanford has been researching sort of like, well, how do our belief systems, how do our mindsets affect the way we learn? And her work shows, but I think common sense will back up that the way we think about learning can impact how we do it. So sometimes we operate under what she calls a fixed mindset. It's just the idea that I have the skills I have. I can't really change that. It's not saying I'm bad at everything. It's just saying for the most part, I can't change my skills. Other times we operate from what she's coined a growth mindset, which is for the most part, I believe I could build my skills. 
like uh, if someone's good with numbers, it's because they built that skill. If someone can't dance, it's because they haven't danced enough. It's like, this is not some irrational confidence that we're the best at everything. It's just the idea for the most part, we could get better at stuff. And so the way we see how, like, if you look at how those mindsets can affect learning, um, a good way to think about it would be like, all right, action is the key to growth, period, end of sentence. Like, there's no way around that. If you're going to grow, you must take and sustain action. But then if you start to look at how these beliefs can either fuel that action or impede that action, it gets interesting. So if I believe I can get in better shape, are you with me that I'm more likely to work out? Yeah, for sure. Okay. But now flip that same logic to learning. If I believe I could get better at math, if I believe I can learn this equation, if I believe I can start a podcast, I'm more likely to try and I'm more likely to sustain that action, even if it's not going well. Okay. So that belief, that growth mindset belief, I can grow in that scenario is fueling my action, which makes it more likely I figure this thing out not rocket science, but it's important to lay it out like that. Then you flip it. Fixed mindset is I can't start a podcast. I could never learn that technology. I can't learn math. I can't learn that equation. For my grandma, it's I can't learn to use a smartphone. So these, <laughs> yeah. lim- these limiting beliefs rob us of action. Like my grandma's never touched a smartphone which is why she still has a flip phone. (laughs) Now, (laughs) then you think about it, there's like a billion grandmas that can use smartphones. Is it because Mm -hmm. those grandmas were born with the iPhone skill? No, the only difference is they tried. And they tried because they looked at the smartphone with more curiosity, more of a growth mindset. They go like, oh, how does that work? They figure out how to open it up. They send you weird emoji texts, but pretty soon (laughs) they can use the stupid phone. It wasn't magic, they tried. Yeah, Now. right. The thing is, it's funny to make fun of my grandma, but all of us on this podcast and everyone listening, we do the exact same thing she she's doing, but with skills that are way more important than the iPhone. Because the argument is, if we don't believe we could get in better shape, I'm probably not going to work out. If I don't work out, I don't get in better shape. If I don't believe Mm -hmm. I can learn math, I'm not going to practice very much. And so we say that in a way, these beliefs become true. They are self-fulfilling. When I believe I could grow, I'm more likely to grow. It's not magic. It's when I believe I could grow, more likely to practice. And then you flip it. If I don't believe I could grow, I'm probably not going to grow once again because it's cutting off that action. It's limiting my reps in practice. And so when you look at learning and the mindsets through that framework, you see like, wow, Maybe you could argue step one to becoming a better learner is to build that belief that we can. And Mm -hmm. I think this is the part that we do the best. So some people would stop the growth mindset conversation there. They're like, yeah, Mm -hmm. growth mindset is this, fixed mindset is this. It's better to have a growth mindset, so you should have one. And that's how we taught it for years. But I think actually the big upgrade we've made this past year is digging into tools that can help people build a growth mindset. And so there's a lot of ways to do that. We, you don't need some guy yelling at you on a podcast telling you can, you can grow. Like we can build a growth mindset ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of ways we could do that. Um, I'll just zip through. Obviously, we could go into more detail, but just three easy tools. One, reflect. And so like a, a brainstorm we do at our workshops, we're like, all right, Two minutes on the clock. Everyone share two things that you're good at with someone sitting next to you. And then there's like a five second pause. 
and you can see in some people's face, they're like, am I good at stuff? <laughs> and that's like a huge problem with learning that we have to fix. Like the truth is we're all growing every week, every month, every year, we're getting better at stuff. And so after some time, people start sharing these skills and look, I don't know all the skills that the room shares, but I do know this once upon a time, you weren't as good at that thing as you are now. And two, that was changed through experience and practice, which means you learned the thing. So that seems like kind of a basic brainstorm, but there's a lot of power underneath it. It's like this belief I'm trying to build is I can grow. And this is a backdoor way of reinforcing that belief. I believe I can learn stuff because I have learned stuff. And so reflection mm -hmm. is a powerful tool. Hold on one second. Jack cool. uh, is trying to get a ball from under the TV. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Love it. Go Jack. By the by the way, listeners, so Trevor has a dog named Jack, and he is identical to my dog named Freddie. We discovered that through um, our Instagrams, but they're the cutest, and we'll for sure have to meet one day. Yeah. I know. Play date. I just, it's, seriously, we'll make that happen. Is Jack, um, is he a golden, a mini golden doodle, or? He's, uh, he's a labradoodle, actually. Oh, he's a labradoodle. Okay. Interesting. Uh -huh. huh. But he only weighs like 32 pounds. He's like on the smaller side. Yeah. Freddie's 40. So oh, maybe that's why they, yeah. Huh. Um, anyway. Okay. So back to the tools okay. to gain a growth yep. mindset. First, yep. we have to reflect. So reflection helps because it's like the proof of our capacity to grow is all around us. We're all good at stuff. Like we learn those things. And so giving ourselves credit for the growth and learning that we're doing all the time is very important. And it can, it can reinforce that belief. Another thing is just to like learn new stuff. There's a, there's like a middle school in Kansas city that I worked with and they did this awesome project. They called it the anti-talent show. Oh, so, so like cool. <laughs> all of the teachers and the students had to pick something they couldn't do. And then they spent two weeks practicing and they held the anti-talent show. So some students learn to juggle and some learn to ride like unicycles and some learn to paint. And at the end of two weeks, wow. of course, no one mastered the skill, but almost everyone could do it. And again, yeah. the overarching lesson of that project is if you practice, you can learn stuff. And so like, I'm not saying we all need to go learn to juggle, but I'm saying a good way if we recognize that we're sliding into a fixed mindset sometimes, which there's nothing wrong with that. But if, if we would like to interrupt that, we could learn something new. That's a good reminder. I have the capacity to grow. And then mm -hmm. I would say the third thing, and there's, I, I actually just wrote an article about this on our website. So I'll, I'll send you guys the link if you want to put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like, there's, this is not new research, but the research of neuroplasticity is like the foundation for all growth. It's basically studying how, when we learn, our brain is actually building new connections and new pathways and so anytime we're learning a new skill, in a way, our brain is physically changing. Uh, this research has been around since the 70s. A few big points that are probably relevant to all of us. One, our brains never lose their plasticity. They're capable of change regardless of our age, which means we have the capacity to grow and learn new stuff no matter how old we are. Now, there are certain phases and skills where it's easier, like learning a language when you're two is easier than when you're 50, but it can be done. And then the important piece is just to understand like what that research is actually saying. 
And in that article that we'll link, there's a, like a 75 second clip of a guy named Michael Merzenich. And in the world of neuroscience, he's known as like the father of neuroplasticity. This is like world famous neuroscience, been studying brains since the 70s, like hardcore into the science. Yeah. And in this 70, 73 second video, he straight up says, from the research that we've been doing for literally decades on our brains, we've come to the conclusion that absolutely everyone can get better at virtually any skill. Wow. Like huge. Dang. Now it's not to say we're going to master everything, but it's like, if it's a skill, you can improve it and you can get better than you think. Yeah. And it's like, Oh my goodness. It's like kind of that like uh, same. (laughs) It's like, it's so powerful. And like, to me, that's, that's the foundation for growth mindset. It's like just understanding how powerful our brains are. It's like, if, so if we uh, rewind it back to like these stories, these limiting beliefs, the problem is, if you're like me, I'm good at telling the story, but never do I actually put it to the test. I, I think that's like a huge foundation for growth mindset. So like when I understand that my brain is built to grow and built to learn and has the capacity to acquire new skills, if I do the work, like earning a new skill, it's not free. I have to actually do the work and earn it. But if I do the work, I can get better. It's like, if I understand that, that's a that's a a highway to building a growth mindset because if i know my brain could grow then i'm likely to believe yeah. in my capacity yeah. to grow and so like all three of those tools work together right. one thing i want to add to the conversation is sometimes think people think these mindsets are static that oh i'm a growth mindset person or oh i'm a fixed it's like that's so wrong in fact kind of the way we think about them is more of a mind state than a mindset. It's like in this moment, I believe I could grow. That might not be true in 10 minutes. Like our mindsets are changing, our mind states are changing a lot. Mm -hmm. The idea is because they can change, we can learn which one we're in and work to like gravitate back towards a growth. So I don't want people to feel shame if they're ever doubting their capacity to grow. That's human, but we can interrupt that. Like, uh, for instance, if, anyone's ever put together Ikea furniture, you know what I'm saying. It's like, (laughs) we we go from like, oh, I got this shelf, no problem. And 10 minutes later, it's like, everything's the worst. (laughs) And so it's like, yeah, my mindset's changing there. But what we're trying to do is just operate from a growth mindset more often. And we do that by understanding the characteristics. And we do that by understanding the underlying tools to build it. Reflect, learn new stuff, and then just understand how powerful our brains are when it comes to learning right and having the awareness yeah yeah that's awesome it's It's kind of like what our mom always said was you know and it not necessarily with learning but just in general I just remember her always telling us how powerful our words are and so to be careful with your words because what you say will come true and I feel like that's so fitting for this growth mindset as well it's yeah it it's like if you if you want to get into that it gets like <laughs> it gets like heavy cuz what yeah. what we're arguing now is the beliefs between our ears become true but then if you flip it and I, i've had the honor of interviewing some people who research how like the mindset of the leader can become true as far as the people they're leading and it's just mm-hmm. like oh my goodness so like oh, in yeah. a way we can like put people in boxes 
and limit their growth because of the labels we give them. And it's like, oh, oh gosh, it's, it's it gets wild. It's so true. That's good to hear too, because as a um, sales manager of people, mm. I feel like I'm always trying to have a really good mindset for them because when they're going mm-hmm. through like lulls, I'm like, okay, I got to stay strong for them <laughs> so they can get through this moment of sure. negativity. <laughs> Well, it's something I feel like I feel like the direction that we're headed and maybe I'm woo woo for thinking this way, but I almost feel like, you know, a lot of the skeptics out there that with all this kind of just mindset stuff that is kind of like, oh, that's like woo woo kind of out there stuff. But I, I do feel like that kind of what you're saying is science really is starting to back up a lot oh, of stuff and maybe science, it's been there forever, science was but saying I, it yeah science was yeah. saying this stuff before we even realized yeah and, that's what i was gonna say maybe it's been there forever but i and, i don't know i just feel like this conversation is yeah and it's like so to me like of course there's some people that push back but like when you unpack the science it's like pretty logical and especially when you like watch the interview we did with merzenich where it's just like it's hard to argue with what he said yeah and and like I think at the heart of any change is the belief that change is possible. Well, that's a growth mindset. (laughs) So it's like, it's like whether you want to name it that or not, it's like anyone that's learned anything, it has to start with like, if we genuinely don't think we can, we're probably not going to start or we're not going to like sustain that action. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Trevor, I have a, I have a question or I don't know if it's a question, but I just feel like too, one of the most frustrating things about the human race and myself is that not believing in the power of choice. Like I feel like the human mind doesn't realize we have a choice in everything. So like a good example of this is yesterday I was waiting in line to get my car thing done and it was super long. And this guy literally cuts in front of me and like, just cuts and I was so angry and I was like oh my god wait I have a choice because what I wanted to do was flick him off and like honk my horn for five hours then I was like wait a second no like I have a choice of what I'm gonna do and I just feel like the human mind that you we don't realize that as much as we should or Mm -hmm. would want to does that make kind of like we react instead of responding right like we have a choice of how we react like we and we don't or I don't sometimes feel like I have that choice. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. look, no one is perfect. We're not trying to come into build. We're not trying to become like robots that never mess up and never like feel bad emotions. <laughs> it's like, that's ridiculous, but you're yeah. right. It's like, we can all be a little bit better and it's good to catch ourselves. And listen, there's nothing wrong if you flip off the guy. It's like, okay, <laughs> like it's okay. Um, yeah. We just don't want it to like really uh, take us off the rails for an extended period of time that day. And so it's like, it kind of goes back to that reappraisal stuff. It's like, we actually don't control our emotional response very much. What we have way more control over are our actions. And so rather than trying to manipulate how we feel and the emotional response, it's actually best to kind of accept that and then focus on our actions. It's like, that's where we can get a little more bang for our buck. Um, and I think that's important. Yeah. That's yeah. some, that's some like Brene Brown stuff. Who's like, yeah, yeah. we I love, love her. too. Uh, yes. I've like read everything, every book she's ever published. She's, yeah, amazing. she's amazing. But, uh, she is yeah. great. Um, and then love I was going to kind of touch on the growth and fixed mindset for me. And just how, when you talked about this neuroscience guy and he, 
you know, has actually scientific proof that like our brains can grow, I guess, is kind of what mm. you were saying, right? Because yeah. I was telling Kristen and Lauren, uh, it's funny because since I've had kids, I think I've, it's, I, it's like I'm a jungle tiger because I'm living, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and my life is so chaotic and I work full time and I'm doing this podcast and I have a mom network. And it's so weird because before I had kids, I wasn't trying to do any of this, but something yeah. about like, it's almost like I have been pushed so hard that I'm pushing myself even harder. And sometimes like, well, yeah. maybe I should chill out a little bit. Sure. But at the same time, like sometimes my brain literally hurts because I feel like it's growing from everything I've been learning. <laughs> it recently. is. And, and like, that's, it's a fantastic example. It's like, look, if you rewind back before you had kids, if someone came up to you like, in blank years, you're going to be doing this, 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 and this. I guarantee there's something on that list where you'd be like, there's no way. Yeah. But because of the actions you took, because in some ways kind of forced out of the comfort zone, it's like yeah. you're doing stuff now that once upon a time you thought you couldn't do, which is proof that you're changing and growing. It's like, I know this <laughs> stuff is simple, but you built those skills. They weren't yeah. just like magically, like they didn't magically spring up, it required no. action. And yes. like- and then the cool thing is to is to be like, wow, if I used a similar approach with more skills, I could continue to grow. Like that's that's kind of the other cool part. Uh, what Dr. Merzenich taught me is the research actually shows, yeah, like our brain is plastic. So if I'm practicing a certain skill a lot or doing something a lot, my brain will like reinforce that circuit. But mm -hmm. another thing he says is like, the machinery in our brain that controls learning is also plastic. And what that means is when we're taking more action and learning more stuff, the machinery that controls learning is actually improving. And so when we, when it comes to learning a, an additional skill, that process will be more effective. So what he's saying is learning is a skill. We become better learners by learning. So that can snowball on itself as well. It's like, Ah, oh, yeah. this stuff. Uh, it excites me. I don't know if it's interesting to anyone <laughs> no, else, but it's it so cool. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm yeah. like, I feel like I'm like geeking out over here, like yeah. trying to compose I've been, like, myself. Taking notes. Yeah, me sure. too. So you said the brain is is like a muscle. So uh, yeah. does yeah, yeah. does the brain um like literally physically grow? That's probably a dumb question, but does it it's like the, is Megan's the, brain really growing <laughs> yeah the connections she's building more connections and stronger uh -huh. connections and so what happens is if it could if a circuit is fired enough in the right way it starts to change and will fire more efficiently that's what's happening and so wow. like like think about okay uh on your phone if you move your most popular app to a new location for two weeks, your thumb is going to where Instagram used to be because you yes. fired those pathways a yeah. lot. And then once mm -hmm. it's in a new location, you fire these different pathways and then you get used to it. And mm -hmm. I think the honestly, the brain is like a muscle piece is there's a lot of neuroscience that supports it. It's like, OK, layer one to grow a muscle, you must take action. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I can't go to the weight room and watch someone do squats and I get stronger. Of course not. Mm -hmm. But then we have to use that same logic when we're learning. It's like, I can watch, listen, and observe, but to actually build a skill, I need to fire the pathway. And if I'm going to fire the pathway, it's good to do the thing. So layer one, I got to do it. Layer two, we need struggle to change our body. And we know that. It's like, that's why we add weights when we work out, because weight equals resistance. Resistance is struggle. Struggle equals change. Mm -hmm. Same rules apply to changing our brain. It's like, 
it's not just about the quantity of reps. It's also the quality. It's like, we need these reps to involve some struggle. They need to expand us out of the comfort zone. Um, Mm -hmm. Layer three. We, uh, Oh, do I need to stop on this? No, no. Oh, okay. So layer three, (laughs) layer three. Uh, And then when it comes to working out, we're relative, uh, relatively patient. So like if I wanted to change my body, I'm going to work out for an extended period of time. Now we want the change to happen overnight, but we stay pretty patient, mm-hmm. but we have to again, Sometimes. use the same, same approach to learning though. When it comes to learning, we're way more impatient. We try something twice. Yeah. It doesn't work. We're like, yep, I can't, I can't learn that. And that <laughs> that's the, yeah. that's the equivalent of doing like one set of curls and then I wake up in the morning like, oh, I'm not bigger, can't grow. We wouldn't do that. Teach. Yeah. My eight-year-old, yeah. you know, it's like riding a bike or whatever the skill was, yeah. just like us, he's so quick to being like throwing the towel and just be like, that's freaking stupid yep. and get so frustrated. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. so this is this is kind of how we teach neuroplasticity to the groups we work with. It's like, yeah, okay, here's what the research says, but a good way to remember is brain's like a muscle, which means it requires reps, lots of mm-hmm. reps, struggle, patience. That's how you change your body. And there's no one that would argue with that, but that's mm-hmm. also how we change our brain and build new skills. It's like, oh, nice. And so once you teach that, now you have a better language for these learning journeys that we're on. And so now if I've taught someone that and they're falling off the bike, it's like, yeah, this is the struggle. This is like when you're lifting weights, this is the hard part. That doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. This is part of the learning process. We just got to keep firing these pathways. It's actually like helps us talk about learning in a more in-depth way. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Reps, struggle, practice. Was that right? Uh, yeah, said- reps, str- okay. re- uh, patience. So the patience. it's action. Oh, practice. It's yeah, like yeah. Lot, lots of action. Like I got to do the thing. If, if you want to get better at uh, interviewing people or podcasting, you need reps doing that because every mm-hmm. skill is its own pathway. If I want to get yeah. better at writing, I need to write more. Um, yeah. so it takes, it's, it's action. Now that action needs some struggle. So you are going to become better at the podcasting game by doing podcasts, not by reading books about podcasts or like, totally. like you're going to get better by doing the thing because there's struggle yeah. involved. And then I feel patience. like in today's world, the patience piece really is hard for just the instant gratification that we crave so bad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're all really bad at it, but it's, if you lay it out logically, <laughs> it might help. But I mean, all yeah. of us are bad at it. No, I love that. And I'm going to use it not only on myself, but with my son as well. So that's great. Yeah. Yes. I think it's, yeah. it's really important. So this is related to growth mindset, but it's like kind of a different angle. Um, okay. All right. First person I interviewed for my podcast is his name is Robert Rosenthal. He's in his, I think, late 80s. He's still a professor. He's one of the most cited psychology researchers ever. This guy is unreal. And so he spent, since the early 60s, he's been researching this topic called the Pygmalion effect, which is like, I'm totally obsessed with it right now. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, probably what you're thinking is like, okay, what's the Pygmalion effect? And so that's the first question I asked him too. And he goes, the best way to understand the Pygmalion effect is by talking about rats. It's like, oh man. Uh, So it's in this uh, early 60s. He's in charge of a lab that runs, they do a lot of research with rats. He sneaks into the lab one night 
he labels half the rats cages as the smart rats and the other half of the cages were labeled the dumb rats and he even had like scientific terms and reasoning underneath it but those are the big labels a group of students comes in throughout the week and they take care of the rats they feed the the, the rats do, do whatever you do at the end of the week they run the rats through the maze what they found was amazing the smart rats ran through the maze better and faster than the dumb rats <laughs> and so it's like it's like okay hold on a second what's what's happening and one yeah. one one detail I forgot to say is actually these rats couldn't read. So they were, <laughs> they, they were aware of like, oh, I'm a dumb rat or I'm a smart yeah. rat. So it wasn't about their beliefs, but yeah. who, who could read in the study? The students. The students. The students. And so what yeah. they discovered, the essence of the Pygmalion effect is the label or expectation of the person in charge can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so what happens is what they found when they replicate the study is the students would actually take better care of the smart rats. They would feed them a little more. They'd handle them with more care, taking them in and out of the cage. And that affects how they ran through the maze. That was not true for the dumb rats. They wouldn't take as good a care of them. And that affect how they ran through the maze. So obviously the people, yeah. So this is like one study. He's done 900 versions of this. One more version that's probably even more relevant. He goes to a California school. I think this is in like the late 60s. And he goes, I've developed a better IQ test. My test is better because I can identify bloomers. Maybe not the students with the best grades, but the ones that will make the most progress this year. Can I give your students this test? I'll give you the results for free. The school oh. agrees. He gives them... He gives the students the exam, processes the results, gives the school a list of 20 names. He's like, here are your bloomers. They will make the biggest leap this year. He comes oh, back wow. a year later. He gives all the same students the same exam. What they found is the, the, the bloomers, the 20 students on the list, their scores went up 27 points. The other students on average went up 12. So the bloomers more than doubled the progress of the other students. That's crazy. So then, yeah, the school's like, dang, like what characteristics do you test for? How do you identify a bloomer? And he goes, oh, I just gave you a list of 20 random names. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, so, I told y'all. Remember, I actually read about this yeah. and I yeah. I, I sent awesome. it to Lord and Megan. I was like, isn't this so crazy? Funny. It's it not only does it matter what you believe about yourself, it matters what you believe about other people. Yes. Right. And so <laughs> yes. so again, it. At, on the surface seems kind of like out there and woo -woo and magic, but it's not mm -hmm. like what happens is if I'm labeled a bloomer, the teacher is more likely to call on me mm -hmm. more reps. And if I'm struggling, I get more support. If I'm yeah. not a bloomer, less likely to get called on less reps and less support when I struggle. Now here's, here's the key takeaway. And this will bring the whole conversation full circle. Mm -hmm. So when I'm talking to Rosenthal, I'm like, Oh, this is easy to apply. It's like, as parents and teachers, coaches, we should just set high expectations. Like everyone in my math class can get a hundred percent and then it becomes true. No, <laughs> like that's not how we apply this. Mm -hmm. It's like, look, if we're in a math class, I could give everyone in the class equal reps, equal support. And I'm very rarely going to see hundreds across the board. Some students are going to be better at math than others. So he's like, as far as creating a label as a leader, don't attach an outcome to the label, but what we should use is the word learner. Everyone yeah. around me is a learner. 
And if I can look at them through that lens, that holds me accountable. If I believe everyone's a learner, no longer can I tell them about the things they can and can't learn. That circles back to Merzenich. That's what he's telling us. We're all capable of growth. You might be more creative than me, but we can both become more creative. You might be better at math than me, but we could both get better at math. And so that word packs so much punch. And so what I would challenge the people listening and just everyone, it's like, just if we could just look at people through that lens and before we're giving them feedback, before we're telling them what they can and can't do, just assume they're a learner and then proceed accordingly. And the awesome thing is that's what the neuroplasticity research is saying. That's what Merzenich was saying. And so all of this kind of comes together. It's like that word matters a lot. Yeah, that that is so powerful. Trevor, this is just such awesome stuff. We absolutely Mm. love your passion. We love your delivery. And you have forever fans from us. We are always there. We'll be right back at you. I appreciate (laughs) it. (laughs) And we just honestly thank you so much for um, coming, taking the time to spend with us today. This was amazing. I can't wait to go back and listen to it and look at all my notes that I took. And listeners, we hope that you took notes too. This is so such powerful stuff. Um, So we leave each episode with a challenge for ourselves and whoever else wants to join us. And so we would love for you to assign us that challenge for this week and then also let our listeners know where they can find you because I know they're going to want to. All right. Two challenges and you could pick one, choose your own adventure. One (laughs) would be pick a small skill and see how good you can get at it in two weeks. And it has to be something. So it's like a miniature anti-talent show, but make it something irrelevant and useful. It could be podcast related. Like what's one useful thing that if you got better could help you. And my challenge to you is to see how good you could get in two weeks. I'll do the same. Okay, cool. Challenge number two. Let's go back to the Pygmalion effect. Before, if when we're working with kids or anyone, it's just like before we're talking to them, before we give them feedback, before we critique or praise, run that through the filter of this person is a learner and see how that might change what we're about to say to them. Those are my two challenges. I love and that. I, think, I feel like I'm going to do that for life. That is so yeah, cool. I think we should. Yeah. <laughs> like, Agreed. And uh, people can find my stuff at thelearnerlab.com. It's divided into topics, so you could dig into the fear, learning culture, growth mindset, jungle tiger stuff. It's all there, all free, lots of cool videos, podcasts, articles. Um, and if people have any questions, my email and phone number are on the website as well. Awesome. Thank you, Trevor, for what you do. And we just appreciate you so much. And listeners, thanks for hanging out with us. And we will see you guys next week. See you next week. Thank you, guys. See ya. Thank you. Bye.